On this episode of the Scott Radley Show podcast, the LRT has been in discussions and debates. We've talked about it for months and months and months and months, always with a $1 billion figure attached to the LRT. What happens if it becomes more expensive than that? What if it runs overruns? 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 billion. Where does that money come from? We're going to talk about that. Also, York Regional Police are putting, making public, putting up the names of those who are charged with drinking and driving. It is a shaming exercise as a deterrent. That's what it's supposed to be for. Does it work? Is it a good idea? Should we be doing that? Should we be taking our, our charged, accused drunk drivers and put it, making their names public so that people can see who they are? And finally, Troy Tulowitzki is walking away from the Blue Jays with $38 million and an invitation to sit at home and sip pina coladas for the next two years. How do you get that job? Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I hesitate to dive into this today because, as I've said many times on this show before, I understand what happens whenever a host on this show or elsewhere mentions the three dreaded letters LRT. I know what happens. There are some of you out there who immediately go into a seizure Blood pressure rises, eyes glass over, and you drain an entire bottle of Jack Daniels in one swig just to dull the pain of LRT another time. Stick with me for a second, though, because I want to hear from you on this one, because someone brought a point up to me, I think it was this morning, I lose track of time, recently, in the last 24 hours anyway that I had not really considered. I don't know why I hadn't considered it. I should have considered it. But now I am considering it, and I'm going to share it with you because I think it is worthy of consideration, and that is when in your lifetime, when in my lifetime, have we ever seen a government project come in on budget? When have we ever seen a government project come in on budget? Now, there may be a few on the smaller end of things, but I'm talking about a big government project. And it could be a capital project. It could be something like the Olympics. It could be whatever. Things don't... One of two things happens. You either set a budget ahead of time that is so enormous that you're going to come in under budget because you've given more money than you need towards that project, or they come in over budget. Things happen. Times change. Costs go up. Strikes happen. Salaries rise. Whatever else. I I bring this up because somebody pointed out to me in the last 24 hours, we have heard repeatedly from the previous provincial government, from the Kathleen government, and now from the Doug Ford current government, that Hamilton will have a billion dollars towards LRT or whatever else. A billion dollars to whatever towards whatever else or LRT. What we have not heard from anybody that I'm aware of yet is that you will get your LRT and it will be a billion dollars or as needed. I've heard nobody offer the suggestion that there will be one dime more than a billion dollars. And that's assuming that this thing actually happens. But for the sake of this argument, we're going to assume, for the sake of this argument, we're going to assume that the LRT is in fact in play, is in fact real, is in fact possibly going to be built. But here's my question that was raised and that really got me thinking. We know that government projects generally don't come in on budget 
oftentimes anyway. We know this thing will be a long time getting built. We know extra costs will be discovered. We know there will be discoveries of things that need to be added. What happens if the LRT budget, when it finally is added up, comes in at $1.3 billion? Who's paying for that? How are we going to pay for that? What are we going to do about that then? Because I'm telling you, it is my belief, and I, I could be corrected. If there is someone from city, city Council, City Hall, who wants to call in and correct me, I would love to hear from you. But it is my belief that if the LRT suddenly had an increased price tag of $1.3 million, the province is not suddenly finding an extra $0.3 billion for us. That is going to be our problem to solve. And how are we going to do that? Because best I can tell, this city doesn't have money. We are scratching and clawing. One of the big reasons that so many people want LRT is not just for the transit, although supporters certainly want that modern transit and the speed and everything else. But one of the big things we keep hearing over and over again is, well, when you do the LRT construction, that will allow us to do all the infrastructure fixings underneath. Think of the infrastructure money that we need, the infrastructure projects we need to do, and this will allow those to be covered. We're not a city that is flush with dough. So what happens if suddenly there's an extra 200 million, 300 million added to this project, which is, in my mind, entirely plausible, entirely possible that that could happen? What do we do? Who is going to cover that cost? How is that going to play when it comes in front of city council to say, you know, we got a rundown arena that we're debating Life and death, whether we should put in $35 million for upgrades or maybe build a new arena with a private partner that wants to pay half, but we don't want to necessarily put in $50 million for a new arena So, because we don't have the dough. But here we need $300, $200, 100000000 million. Who's going to do that? How are we going to do that if that were to happen? What will that do to the project if that were to happen? Am I being too negative? Am I being unrealistically pessimistic that costs will exceed what we expect? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. If costs of LRT go over the amount that is the $1 billion threshold, and I believe that they will, what do we do? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're chatting about those three dreaded letters, L-R-T, L-R-T. On all of our headstones, somebody is going to write, they lived through the L-R-T debate. You know it's going to be true. We're going to, although that may not entirely be true because we all will be dead before this conversation ends. This thing is going to go on forever, I'm convinced. I would rather talk about BLT, quite frankly, but that's not an option today starving. But we're talking about LRT and my question, which was raised by someone to me within the last 24 hours or so, which is something that I hadn't really considered, but as I've said a moment ago, I should have is the province repeatedly, if you believe, whether you believe the province or not, Kathleen Wynne, Doug Ford, their governments, we have had repeated promises 
that we will have a billion dollars for an LRT, but not once that I have found, not one time, has anybody said a billion-ish or a billion plus whatever is needed. We've heard $1 billion, end of story, and I have become more and more convinced that there is little to no chance that our LRT is going to come in under that number because nothing government, no government project does. And keep one other thing in mind. If you recall back when this whole thing was going on, the LRT got extended. Remember when Kathleen Wynne tried to save this project and the city tried to save this project and they put on the last bit that would take it all the way to Eastgate Mall for the same amount of money. Now they took a few other things out, but the fact is we now have an LRT that seems like it is stretching, the idea anyway, is stretching the dollar to the extreme what happens when this comes in at 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 billion, not the 1 billion? Because call me a pessimist, call me negative, call me a doubter, call me whatever you want. I don't think this thing comes in at $1 billion. I think it will be over budget because that's what happens. And then who is going to cover that? Can Hamilton afford that? This is not a knock against the LRT per se. I just want to make sure, I want to know if this thing does go over the amount, how are we going to pay for that? What would you do about that? Frank joins me and I, I, I'm pretty sure I know where Frank is going on this one, but Frank, how are you tonight? I'm all right, Tan. How do you, how can you read my mind? I, Frank, I just, uh, it, it, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because the rest of the staff is out for their Christmas party and I'm having some sort of uh, delusions or something, but no, I... No, you're not. You know, you know, you're not. I wish you, they would put you in the lobby there on that kiosk that turns around with you speaking loudly like you did now all day long. Listen, I wrote a wrong letter to... Uh, to uh, uh, Whitehead today, and he's uh, on. He sees what I see. But anyways, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. I'm just going to say this. Well, first of all, everything we hear about it is speculative. There hasn't been any pre-audit done by a independent group to determine what is going to be the return on this, whether it takes five years, ten years, or two years, or whatever, to guarantee. And matter of fact, our city cannot be compared to Ottawa, to Vancouver. We have an escarpment. I can go on and on in this, Scott, but I'm not. But I'm going to leave you with just one question. Yeah, let's stick with the question today. Is uh, What happens it, if no, it comes in at $1.3 uh, right. instead of one? Well, uh, well uh, we know the answer. But here's it. What will a set of sort rapid transit cars do better than an increased fleet of pollution-free electric bu- buses brought equally to serve every city ward? There is your there's your moment of objectivity right there, Scott. What will that train do for every Hamiltonian and all the world, all the wards? Not only that, it'll be substantially, and, I, and this is even speculative, but I'm pretty sure it'd be hard to disagree that by, by way you just introduced this subject, that more buses for all the wards, for all the people, is not going to cost, and it's going to turn up the streets, and on and on and on. This thing is nothing but a chest pounder, an image Wow, wow, look at us. We got a rapid train for what? Frankie, I appreciate the call. Thanks so much for the call. We can have, and we have, and we will continue to have this debate. He mentioned, Frank mentioned Terry Whitehead, Councillor Terry Whitehead, who is now going around, says he's on a listening tour of sorts to try and hear why people are so in favor of this. We're going to be hearing lots about this. This is not something that is drying up and going away all of a sudden. My question simply is, and I'm hoping that at council, 
in short order, somebody will answer this question because here's the thing. They're not going to. Despite what I want, they're not going to. And I'll tell you why they're not going to. Because any time if somebody was to raise this at council, I'm sure they will be yelled down by being told that's speculative. We don't know that. There's no reason to think that. We've been told it's going to be done for a billion. We're not going to deal in hypotheticals, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, it's not a hypothetical. It's a reality that most public projects go over budget or can't be done with what the original amount is. And I'm looking at the H, the LRT and I'm saying, all right, if we have voted for this, if we truly believe in this, if council votes for this and we can do this for a billion dollars, okay, let's have that debate. Well, we've had that debate. Let's move along with it. But if this thing is coming in at 1.3 or 1.4 billion, where is that money coming from? And I know the answer. It's coming from us. I just don't know how they're going to get it out of us because we don't have that money in the city. We need that to be sorted out as well before any shovels go in the ground, I think. We don't need a surprise. We don't want a surprise on this one. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. York Region Police, this holiday season, this Christmas season, have taken to what they're calling the naming and shaming of drunk driving folks. Anyone who is charged with drinking and driving, and we know it happens still, unfortunately, is going to have their name published. It's going to be made public. So if you get pulled over and you blow over the limit, you get pulled over, you get charged, you, you're not hiding in anonymity. You're not going to keep that away from your family. You're not going to keep that away from your friends. You're not keeping that away from your boss. Everybody can know that you have done that. They're seeing it as a way to deter people from drinking and driving through shame, through embarrassment, through having your bad behavior exposed. I want to know what you think about this idea. I'll tell you what I think about it in a second, but I want to know what you think about it. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Now, a little background on this one about why York Region may be doing this. Not only have they had apparently... Apparently, they've had a bunch of cases this Christmas season. They've had a number of people who have been pulled over more than they expected. But keep in mind that in York Region, that's the location where Marco Muzo, remember that story? The guy who drove drunk and killed the three kids and the grandfather? Terrible story. Horrendous story. He's been in the news lately because he's been trying to get out on parole after like a year or year and a half in jail, which is crazy. But anyway... So clearly in that area, there is high heightened sensitivity towards this kind of thing. Nonetheless, it is certainly an interesting idea. We've heard examples of things kind of like this before. I've heard stories where a judge made somebody wear a sandwich board announcing their guilt. You do something to make it a public shaming with the idea that I don't want to do that because I don't want to have to deal with that kind of thing. And so maybe it cuts back on the crime. Do you like this idea? Do you think this is a good idea that if you're caught drinking and driving, if you're charged with impaired driving and driving over 80, that you are going to have your identity made public so that everybody knows what a potentially idiotic person you are? 905-645-3221, star 9900. Fred is up first. Fred, how are you tonight? Uh, Not bad. Nice nice to hear your show. Thanks, Fred. I appreciate that. What do you think about this? Well, 
in a way, it's a good idea and a bad idea. What I like to see happen, though, is take away the privilege of driving altogether. Uh, anytime they apply for a For how long? Place, for life. I'm not, I don't disagree with you, Fred. I don't, I, I've because always... these people are SOB, you know, they always, look what's happened. We've had people in court, and they get in a vehicle and then kill people, and they get out there again and drive and kill again. For life, get rid of it. Take that pleasure away of driving. I've always thought that our drinking and driving penalties, especially on early penalties, are too lenient. They're way too lenient. And well, I, I'm with you. I, maybe not for life. Every, every, everything's lenient through the criminal thing. Look, but often, some, you know. Often. I, look, I, I don't know that I would go as far as to say on first offense that it would be life. I think that I, I am a believer in second chances, but I'm not a believer in second chances without any kind of significant penalty. So if you say on first offense, you don't drive again for five years or seven years, something that stings more than the six months or more than even a year, I'm all for that. Yeah, because these people are very ignorant. They don't care about other people. They just care about themselves and they don't care about society. You know that. And uh, it just continues on and on and on the way things are going. Society's got really worse since you and I were kids. Well, that's you because know? that's because Fred, we don't have the impact we once did. Well, I don't know, <laughs> but there's no respect of anybody anymore. No, Fred, listen, I really do appreciate your call. Thanks for that. It's um here's my thought on this one though, and I want to say this cuz as much as I support the concept, there's a part of this that actually does give me a little pause for concern. And that is the idea that York Region Police are going to be posting the names and making public the names of people who are charged with impaired driving as opposed to convicted of impaired driving. There is a big difference here. There's a big difference here. And while it is true that you do have a device that is going to be a breathalyzer that's going to give you a reading, so there is some kind of objective scientific base so you could presumably say we are very confident that this person has done something illegal. It's not just an eyewitness account. It is, a, it is a device that is giving you a number. We do have we do have laws. We do have a justice system. We do have courts. We do have judges. You still, in my mind, have the presumption of innocence. Even if you're pulled over for drunk driving, even if you blow over the legal limit, you do have the presumption of innocence. And it does concern me that we're going to announce or that York Region Police is going to put out the names of people who are charged. Let me bring in Steve. Steve, how are you tonight? Good, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. What do you think about this idea? Uh, them putting out uh, the pictures, you mean? Putting out the pictures, putting out the names, making public people who are charged with impaired driving. I think it's a wrong, I think it's a bad idea. They've done that in the States before. Um, and uh, I think it's uh, uh, injustice to private to the private sector, for sure, for people who have... Injustice uh, to privacy is what I'm trying to say. Steve, what about the idea that once convicted, we're going to do something to be deterrent? Once you're convicted, so you no longer have the presumption of innocence, we're going to put your name out there. Well, well, let me use an example. I heard in Belgium, and this is like 20 years ago... You know what, Steve? Hold on a sec. I'm going to put you on hold because we got to go sure. to a break, but I want to hear your thought when you come back, all right? Don't hang up. I want to hear from Steve about this when we get back. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
York Region Police, among others, are taking the tack that if you are charged with drunk, drinking and driving this Christmas season, and I don't know if they're going to extend this to be a permanent thing, they are going to publicize your name, your address, your all the stuff. The people around you, if they're paying any attention, are going to know that you were one of those idiots that decided to get behind the wheel of a car and drive drunk and not be responsible and not take care for other people and not show concern for the safety of other people in your community. And on the general face of it, I don't have a huge disagreement with the idea of using this as a deterrent, except for the fact that I am uncomfortable with this on charges. I'm okay with this on conviction. Not sure. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm quite sure I'm not comfortable with this on charges alone. Steve was on the line. We had to take a break, but I want to bring him back on because Steve had expressed that he wasn't totally thrilled with this. And Steve, you were going to tell us something that happens in Belgium along these lines. Well, um, along these lines, yes, it wasn't, there wasn't any picture posted, but uh, their laws are essentially, uh, you get one warning, then the second uh, time you're caught uh, drinking, that's it, you lose your license for life. Now, if that was that strict here, we probably wouldn't have the problems we have. But um, the, the other thing I was going to mention was, you know, I think it's absolutely wrong if they're going to just put up people that are suspected and not convicted. Convicted, I can understand. Um, uh, suspected, I don't think is right. I, and I, I'm with you, Steve, for one obvious reason. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. What if Steve were to get pulled over for drinking and driving and there was actually weirdly some explanation for it and you got acquitted? How do you undo the damage? How do you undo your reputation for your boss and for everyone else who didn't necessarily follow the follow-up and just saw that you were charged? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, can you imagine if a teacher was uh, suspected of a pedophilia and, and, of course, came out innocent? And it w- really wouldn't matter after that point. You know what I mean? His career would be ruined. See, before you know? I let you go, interesting. Fred, who called in before you, also had the idea that we don't do a good enough job in this country with strict license removal, lifetime ban, or some extended. Ban. Why do you think we don't do that? Because that, to me, Steve, seems like one of the easiest things you could possibly do. If you drink and drive, which is a conscious decision, we are going to penalize you by taking that privilege away. I don't see that being difficult at all. Well, the problem is is that uh, alcohol is part of our culture and part of our society. You can't just all of a sudden, um, you know, put a restriction on something that has been accepted in our society for a very long time. Yes, but sex is part of life, too, for people, and we have very strict rules about who you can do that with. You can't just, like, you. we have things in our society that are allowed to be done, but they have to be done in a certain way or at a certain time or a certain place. Right? So you can drink. You're right. Alcohol is definitely a part of our society that we've said is okay, but we've also said, but you can't drive. You can't get behind the wheel. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But what I'm saying is because of its integration integration into our culture and driving as kind of a privilege that, you know, uh, has kind of expanded over the past 40 years or whatever to the fact that everybody is, dri- is driving is going to leave the gray area when it comes to law because it can't be just black and white. Steve, I really appreciate your call today. Thank you. All right, thank you. There are two things at play in this one. One is the idea of naming and shaming people, which again, on conviction, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Get it out there. Make everybody know. If you 
are the idiot who's going to get behind the wheel of your car while you're drunk, why should you think that you have somehow a right to anonymity or to not have people find this out. And again, I go back to the story that we mentioned a few moments ago from York region about Marco Muto, who was that guy who killed the three kids and the grandfather. That's the, that's what can happen. That's why you don't drink and drive. If you're convicted, you should have your name put out there. In fact, if we had the manpower, the woman power, the capability somehow to do it, I would say that if you've gotten, if you've been caught drinking and driving and you've been convicted, Everybody on your street should have a note sent to them from the courtroom saying, by the way, did you know your neighbor at number 15 was convicted of drinking and driving? I would be all for that. Let's turn that into a huge deterrent. But beyond that, I think Fred and Steve, who both called in, and you're welcome to call in as well. Love to hear from you. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. I think they are also on to a really important point that I have never understood why our drinking and driving penalties are so slap on the wrist, so soft, so ineffectual. If you drink and drive, and that is a conscious decision to do that, to the level, you know, I think many people have had a drink. We're not talking about a drink, whether that's a good idea or not. That's, that's something else. But the reality is that if you have a bunch of drinks, enough to get over the limit and get behind the wheel of a car, why do we have laws that don't take away your license for five years, 10 years, something massively significant? I do not understand that. And, and beyond that, on second offense, all right, so even if we assume, even if we grant you that people can do something that is, I'm not going to say it's a mistake because it's not a mistake, it's poor judgment. But even if we're going to say, You've made, you've done something showing exceeding poor judgment. To do it once, I think we all can say that we have done something in our life with poor judgment once. But if you go and drink and drive and get convicted a second time for that, how do we not have an automatic law in this country that says you are never to drive a car again? How is that not just an common sense automatic reflex reaction by our courts. The second time you're convicted of drinking and driving, done. No chance ever, no parole, no probation as far as driving goes. You are never to be behind the wheel of a car again. How is that not a thing? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in our good friend Bubba O'Neill from CHCH just off the air. How are you, sir? Um... I'm trying to figure out how I can get fired from my job and still make $38 million. Well, I can tell you how to do the first part. I'm just not sure how to make the second part happen. <laughs> I'm reasonably sure I could come up with several suggestions for finish to fulfilling the first part of that suge- that sentence. In fact, we all could, I think. Uh, I'm, you know, the first part of that job, you're in a visual medium. I think the first day you do a sports cast completely pantsless might lead you down that path. You wouldn't know, though. You can't see. Oh, you could stand up on the desk. Oh, that was... <laughs> I'm telling you, we could go for hours here with the ways that you could get fired from your job. <laughs> but 
unlike Troy Tulowitzki, none of us are going to probably walk out of our office after being fired with a check for $38 million U.S., which is probably close to about $48 million Canadian. I'm telling you. Stunning. Isn't that stunning? I mean, I understand it. I mean, the Blue Jays need to move along here. And if you want a new generation of fans, a new generation of team, I think you do definitely have to clear out, you know, the existing whatever was here for the last couple of years. And that includes Russell Martin and now, uh, and I, I, hopefully he gets traded to a contending team. And uh, I think it's time for him to go too. Um, but I think you need to start fresh with a whole new set of fresh faces and you can sell all those fresh faces to, you know, to baseball fans and, you know, join along and watch the growth of this team. But Wow, did it come at a cost. Here's what I here's why I disagree with you to some degree. Uh, I agree that he needs to be gone. I agree that he's not part of the future for the Blue Jays. He's what 37 now, something like that, 36, 37 years old. He, I mean, he's getting up there. No, I don't think he's that old. Is he not that old no, yet? I think he's only I think he's only 34, but his oh. body's his body's Okay, destroyed. his body is destroyed. Yes. Uh yeah, he needs he, he is someone that is not part of the future of the Blue Jays. That that is absolutely clear, but his salary was $20 million a year. So by giving him this buyout, you are saving $2 million. That's it. And if you were giving him $20 million over 40, if, you, if that was the buyout, that's one thing. I would much rather the Blue Jays have started him for April, played him until you could play him no more and see if he could actually produce a little and if you could trade him for something, get something back for him. That's my only concern. That's my only criticism of this. See if you can parlay him into something as opposed to this. The problem is you have so many young infielders right now, and I think Gurriel's the guy they actually want to eventually play that position, that you're stunting the growth of that te- of, of those players. Sure. And they do. They have, for num- a month, they have though, a number of young guys there that they need to have a look at or to find out who's the guy. But for a month? I, I, like, I'm not talking about doing it for the whole year, but we know, we all know that in baseball, somewhere in the major leagues in the first month of the season, some team is going to lose a shortstop to injury. Now, based on past precedents, that could be Troy Tulowitzki. But, <laughs> but the fact is... If I can play that guy and he can show any kind of abilities and show that he's got some range and that he can hit the ball again, maybe you can trade him for something. The problem is, Scott, he, he I mean, remember, and for our, you know, our listeners to remember here, he missed the entire yep. 2018 season and he was broken down for much of 2017 as well, too. Yep. In addition to that, his statistics as a Blue Jay show a marked falling off, we'll say, from his days in Colorado. At his ticket price, even if there is a shortstop out there that goes down in the league, there is no team. You would have to be the biggest sucker in the world to take on that contract. But you wouldn't have to, because if the Jays are willing to send him home for $38 million, presumably they'd be willing to eat $38 million. You could have him for two, but you also give up some sort of prospect of some kind, if he can play. We don't know if he can play. You're absolutely right. We, he could be, there could be no there there anymore for him. But I, I would have wanted to, even just spring training, let's let right. the guy go through spring training, and who knows, maybe maybe he has some magic left and you can just turn it into something. Right. Anyway, that's, um, now, on that note, 
there are there is a mixed reaction today from some people saying, look, they had to do this because Alex Anthopoulos made a terrible move to get him because the team became saddled with this giant contract. And others are saying, you know what? Yeah, they got saddled with this contract, but considering what we saw in 2015 and 2016 with those playoff runs and all the rest of the stuff, yeah. that was a price that was worth it. Where do you stand on that one? I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, the ultimate uh, idea in sports is to win. The Jays failed in that in that venture of winning, but you needed to make moves to turn around. Remember when Alex? This was the first move that Alex Anthopoulos made. It was before David Price. It was. This was the very first of the big moves that he made with a team that was a game under five hundred, if I remember correctly, right in the middle of the summer, and it spurned on an interest. It spurned on a love affair with this team that has lasted right up until, I think, this year. I think fans have come to the conclusion that the run is over. So for what they did for television numbers, for what they did for merchandising, and in terms of Tulowitz, Tulowitzki being part of that trade, and, of course, the David Price thing, he only was only here for a couple of months, I think in the end of the day it was all worth it because it, re- it ended a streak of, what, 27 years of not making the playoffs, and on top of that, ignited a fire of interest for this team that we haven't seen since the 92-93 World Series teams. And the guys that he traded for him have all torn up the major leagues. I'm being facetious. Not one guy that was traded in that Tulowitzki deal has been anything at all. I mean, even uh, Jose Reyes was the biggest name. He's done nothing. You got him basically to eat his salary, but you didn't give anything up to get him. It's not like you cleaned out your cupboard of top prospects for this guy, and now it's a huge loss. You traded him for essentially nothing. All you got was his salary that you had to eat. Yeah, I mean, the only problem is for guys like, uh, you know, the the new hierarchy of the team, when they first came in, the cupboard was bare. They just didn't have a lot of... But the the cupboard had been... To their credit, they have done a great job in rebuilding the kids within this franchise so much so that many people in Major League Baseball believe that they have the best farm system in, in baseball well, right now. And the cupboard that they had, even if they had come in before Anthopolis got rid of it, none, none of the guys that were traded in that 2015 trade-off to get Price and Revere and all those guys, none of them have amounted to anything in baseball. There's not yeah. one guy that you traded away that turned out to be a guy that you went, oh, I wish we had him. Before that. It was the year before, two years before. It was the Noah Syndergaard that you traded for R.A. Dickey that you say, hmm, would have liked that one back. But that 2015, nothing. So I'm I'm with you. I I think that was a, yeah, 38 million bucks to go home and sip pina coladas on your porch and, (laughs) you know, whatever else. That's that's a nice deal. But uh, I think in the end... I think you do that one 10 times out of 10 if you're the Blue Jays. Well, I think really, I think they made their money over. I mean, and I'm talking about the parent network and Rogers and, of course, with their Sportsnet uh, franchise in terms of television and ticket sales. We haven't seen, you know, that kind of attendance, you know, at the Rogers Center for three straight seasons. They basically sold out almost every game for three seasons. And if you figure that, we were talking about this last night on the show here with Don Robertson, I don't know what the average ticket price will be. The average ticket price, let's say twenty-five bucks, is the average ticket price for a Blue Jays game. I think that might be a little bit low, but if it's twenty-five bucks, and you're putting forty-five thousand people in there compared to twenty thousand people, you're making some money. Especially when you add beer and hot dogs and merchandise and all the rest, and then the TV revenues, you're making some money. 
Absolutely. I, I, th- I think, I guess, I mean, it was, it was a calculated risk that any team um, does on a regular basis. I mean, look at it. I mean, he, let's be honest here. The Yankees and Red Sox do this stuff all the time. It, it was just so shocking for, for the Blue Jays because they're generally so conservative you know, and making big moves that we were so blown away by it. And, and like I said, it, it, it created an interest in that team that had not been seen in 20 years. It was, it was, you know what? And I'm not. I, I like baseball. I would not put it in my top three sports, but I'll tell you something. It certainly provided a lot of entertainment. Um, I think for a lot of people, and made a lot of summers for people very, very entertaining in terms of watching baseball. Some team is going to sign Tulowitzki, though, right? There's no. no chance that he's sitting at home. Someone's going to sign him for a major league minimum with bonus options or whatever to come to training camp. Someone is going to do that. I, I would think the best that he's going to get, Scott, quite honestly, because of – look at his – I mean, the problem is he's a shortstop, he, and his, he's had surgically operated heels. He's had bone spurs. And, and you're talking about lower limbs. Yep. Uh, he's never been a guy with great range to start with. His batting average, which, you know, when he's with Colorado, he was a regular 300, 290 hitter. His, he's in the 240, 250 at the very best as a Blue Jay. You're talking about a diminishing, you know, former all-star. At that age, I don't think anyone, I think the best he will get is an invite to spring Oh, spring I think, but, but I'm saying someone's going to invite him. He's not going to be sitting at home. And one of the teams that I truly think, and I suppose we we say this with everything, I would not be surprised to see the Yankees be that team because don't forget what's his name? Who's their shortstop? Uh, um, um, uh, Didi Gregorius. Gregorius. Did he not blow out his knee at the end of last year and is going to be coming back from that one? If yeah. you're looking at this, saying, "Look, hey, let's take a chance. Let's bring him to camp. We can afford it, and if he can hold the fort for, I, I, I don't believe Troy Tulowitzki is going to be." sitting on his lanai watching Golden Girls reruns for this spring training. He is uh, going to be somewhere. What I'm hearing, like the, the Yankees are loaded. They, they're loaded. They have two guys at that position in their farm system that are ready to go. I don't see it, Scott. I, he, he's a diminishing quality with a very expensive ticket and, and a past history that really is not favorable for him to return. I think his days are done. Hamilton Cardinals. They should be sending an invite to him today. If all else fails, Troy, we got a spot for you. Now, you may have to compete for a job, but we have got a spot for you to try out for our team in the Intercounty Baseball League. I would be doing that. I want to tell you this right now. Whoever, and I don't know, and, and excuse me for not knowing, but whoever the shorting starts off is for the Hamilton, Card- Hamilton Cardinals, is a better shortstop than Troy Tulowitzki oh, is right now. Oh, that is, well, he may be healthier. <laughs> but only because right now. only because Troy Tulowitzki has broken both of his heels simply carrying around the bags of money that he has to take home. <laughs> I would mm. tell you the one <laughs> the guy. There's a new team, I believe. Is it Welland now? Yes, the, the Welland Fisher Cats, I believe they're called, or the Welland. Uh, there's something to do with a. What's a Fisher Cat anyway? Cats <laughs> hate water. Why would you be fishing if you were a cat? I can't remember what the IBL franchise is in Welland, the new one, but I believe it's something to do with a fish. I'm going to tell you, he, that whoever is starting there, because it used to be the Burlington Herd, um, their shortstop is better too. That's just, that's just the, the jackfish is what they're called. Oh, well, that's better than the whatever it was, the catfish or anyway. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about today, today was the day caught me completely off guard. I was not expecting this. I had f- not even realized we were 
this close to the end of the year. Yep. The Lou Marsh Award presented today for Canada's top athlete. Now, this is th- this is a confusing one because this is presented by the Toronto Star. It's not the Canadian Press Athlete of the Year, but it's almost seen now as, I think, a step higher because the Canadian Press have a male and a female athlete of the year. This is the one yeah. athlete of the year. The guy who won it this year... Uh, which I think is going to catch a few people off guard. Michael Kingsbury, and the reason I say we'll catch people off guard, Bob, I bet you that if you ask 50% or more of Canadian people, what sport does Michael Kingsbury play, you would get a blank stare. The funny thing is, you have a one-month window for that question, Scott, because if it was during the Olympics, people would know who he was. Uh, yeah, He's a freestyle the, skier, the, by the way. A freestyle mogul, mogul skier yeah. who, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of times, other than if you don't live in Alberta, many of these types of sports are very big in Europe. I mean, if you go in many parts of Europe and said Michael Clayton Kingsbury, they'd know who he is, right? Because the World Cup circuit spends most of its time in Europe. Big star. He's one of the best in the business, period. He was a clear-cut winner in moguls and freestyle skiing. You know, won two two globes for for you know for winning the uh, the, the World Cup, and and continue. I think he opened up the season with a victory this, uh, uh, last weekend. So he's a god there, unknown here too much, except for the Olympics. And this is where we get into these crazy arguments about the about the Lou Marsh Trophy that it, it will basically go to an Olympian the year after an Olympics. Which generally is warranted. I mean, I can't think of too many times when there's an Olympics and we don't have somebody step up and become a huge star. I mean, think back to just a couple of years ago with Penny Alexiak, who nobody had ever heard of before, and all of a sudden she's the Canadian sports star, and she won the Lou Marsh Award that year. Right. Honestly, though, even though it was an Olympic year, how does Brooke Henderson not win this award? Now, that's who I picked. I mean, I, I, I thought her... Her playing on the LPGA Tour was just sensational last year. And the fact that she ended that, what, the nearly 40-year drought of a Canadian winning uh, a national championship at the, you know, the LPGA, basically women's, women's version of the Canadian Open, I believe that was in Saskatchewan this year. I mean, I, I thought that was a lock. Um, the the irony her. of this whole thing is that we get into these debates all the time. We hear from people that, oh, you know what, you don't support... Women's sports. You don't support... And so now we're at a position where it's like, well, maybe that's true because I'm looking saying there is no way that Brooke Henderson doesn't win the Lou Marsh Award this year. She was the dominant athlete. And beyond that, one of my things that I... And I don't have a vote in this, by the way. Neither do you, I don't think. um, That one of the things I gauge this on is not just how good you were, but what is the field? How many people actually play your sport. And so if it's, if you're playing bocce and there is a very limited that you may be fantastic at it, but only a very small number of people play it at an elite level, or you're playing in a sport where millions of people play that sport and you're at the highest, highest point. To me, that counts for something. Golf to me is way more, there are way more people around the world who play golf and are trying to get to where Brooke Henderson is than moguls. I, I'm with you on that. I mean, and you're talking about a, a circuit right now that is so competitive that virtually anyone can win on tour right now in the LPGA. And you could say that with the PGA as well, too. But I think it's even tougher on the LPGA. There are so many good golfers 
from the world on the world stage right now, and I'm talking about uh, I don't know, Americans, Koreans, Japanese, English, England. Like it's just unbelievable. And right here, you know, in terms of Canada, you've got someone that's standing right there, top five, top ten for sure, top five on any given week can win a major championship. Uh, I, I, He's a favorite every time out. You know, she, she's definitely one of the favorites out there. You know, amongst the top golfers in the world, Thailand is. You know, obviously Jatinagarn is another excellent golfer in, in that on in that circuit. Um, and I will also say this, and I'm not saying anything about Michael uh, Kinsbury as well. Too, I don't know him personally. I did have an opportunity to meet Brooke Henderson th- this past year, and I found her to be as. Uh, cordial, approachable, um, I'll even dare say kind as, as, as an athlete that I've ever met, quite honestly. I think, and here's the part of the problem with these awards, I think we've reached a point now where we're overthinking these things and we're trying to be cute, too cute and too clever. And this is not a knock at Michael Kingsbury. He's had a terrific year. He's in a sport that he dominates but this, to me, is just blatantly obvious. It's bla- it's right there in front of you, and somehow the voters overthought this thing and gave the award to someone that I think half the vote is, well, look how smart we are because nobody else would have thought of this, and look how clever we are. That, that, that shouldn't be what it is. Brooke Henderson was the Canadian Athlete of the Year this year. I'm sorry, she just was. I think so, and it's hard. Now, from from all the, I mean, what you're reading on Twitter and those people who did vote, who have a vote in this, it was razor close between the two of them. I mean, uh, we're also talking about Caitlin Osmond was was in consideration, Connor McDavid was in consideration, but it was this came down between Henderson and uh, and Kingsbury. So I, I, it obviously was very very close. Um, I w- I mean, I would love. I mean, I'm sure it will come out in time for those who put. Kingsbury first on why they put them first, um, and I do believe you're going to hear that an Olympian gets a nod over a professional athlete. Is that right? Is that the right way to think? Um, because of the four years of preparation for it to get into their sport, plus you know, but with the World Cup, etc. Um, I don't know if that's the correct way of thinking, but I know I've heard that line before, and I would expect that you would hear it again from you know at least someone that put uh, Brooke Henderson second. Someday they're going to give us a call, Bubba, and they will get smart people on this panel who know what they're doing to vote. We can get rid of the riffraff and you and I can go in and fix all this. Do you need to just maybe do a, just break up the Lou Marsh and just do a women and a female? Well, a they female already have that for the Canadian press, and I can tell you that's who's going to... That's the CP one. But yeah, if, if and I'll tell you who's going to win. If you break up the Lou Marsh and give it to a woman mm. and a man. I, I I like the idea that there is one. I just find that it's they're being too clever sometimes, and there are certain ones. And I go back, and we get we're out of time. I go back to the, the, this all started for me when Larry Walker was had the year of years in Major League Baseball and lost to a race car. No, he didn't lose to a. He lost to a he race lost car. To the Formula One champion of the year in arguably one of the greatest years in Formula One history. They, 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 there was much more to the car. That's an insult. He lost to a clutch. That, 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 that's, a, that's an insult. That's an insult <laughs> to Jacques Villeneuve. Come on now. Where's Jacques Villeneuve these days? Well, he's 
career is long done. You're talking about something that happened. Well, like, he should have had some longevity then if he was the Lou Marshall. Yeah, I mean, he did. He, he did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> See, this is why we should be on the panel, just even then to argue about this stuff. <laughs> That's a tough one. I, and I would say, too, Larry Walker, what did he win that year? You're talking about someone that became a world champion. And again, I talk back. I, again, I go back to that thing about sometimes, you know. And of course, the F, what happened in race car driving, and obviously just the interest of it in this country rose out of the roof that particular year. But again, Jacques Villeneuve could go anywhere in Europe and be identified. I don't know about Larry Walker. <laughs> I will give you time now to go and contemplate how it is that you are going to get fired uh, as we started with this. I'd, I'd like a list by the end of the night of maybe by email of five good ideas for, you know, what, what it is you could say to Taz on the air that would get you fired. That would be a good one. Um, ruffling Phil Perkins' hair on the air, messing that up. That, see, I think messing up Perkins' hair would be enough to get you fired instantly. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going to, my, my, I'm going to be much more extreme than that. Well, yeah, I guess. If you're going to go out, go out in a blaze of glory, right? You better. Oh, we'll be waiting for that list. I will share it with the audience if and when that list ever arrives. Bubba's ideas for how he can get fired and go home with $38 million. <laughs> Appreciate the time, sir. Thanks. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.